Welcome to Poetry Spotlight, presented by the Ohio Poetry Association. I am your host, Jeremy Dusek, and with us today is Sandra Fien. Sandra what is the recently named Beat Poet Laureate of Ohio. She was selected as a Vala artist in 2020 and is the Speak No Evil Monkey in the poetry troupe Concrete Wink. She is the author of Meat and Bone and Fragile Capacity School Poems. Her poem, Palms Monday, was nominated for a Pushcart Prize. Sandy is the former associate editor of Pudding Magazine, former urban fiction editor, and was in the Red Kitchen Poetry Troupe, founded by Jennifer Bosbeld. He is also the former director of the Ohio Poetry Therapy Writers Group. A career educator with a waterfall of publications and workshops, Sandra is currently working on a multi-genre book with journalist Cliff Trayans. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Could you please start us with a poem? Sure. Sleeves. Your white blouses hang on the back of my old bedroom door for over two years, as if pressed cotton is ageless, immortal. Your inventory of care and artistry that defies time. Ask all the cats in your backyard cemetery. Ghosts of purrs elevate each two decades or more, fur bellies breathing and rubbed. Ask your piano sheet music played in your single decade, instructor still legible notes, the blue willow plates. Ask silver ladle, ask 60 year old philodendron, ask its home, yours, its rocker beds, four daughters coos, sighs, your lullabies. Ask four boxes that encase each child's spirit, lift one lid, see a salt map from an early 70s fourth grade assignment still intact and beneath angry stitches deforming a teenager's once low-cut bathing suit. Ask neat revisions of all your poems that commemorate family. Ask paper that honors first words daughter spoke. Ask clean windows bloused in pristine curtains. Ask neighbors why they remember the smell of everything you baked them, why your smile comes in with that smell, along with flashes of blue veins from your hands. Then, don't ask why you didn't get the care you gave, didn't get the placement that defines love and grace under your touch and precision, under your care. Don't ask why you are integument ignored. Your shingled skin pictures a burn victim. Cotton blouse would ignite deeper pain. Don't ask how quickly you became powder in that cobalt blue jar arrested in the corner of the living room behind your Mabel doll sitting in her miniature rocker. Don't ask about all sleeves of grief to come. Really good. Thank you. Thank you. I I like when the ask switches to the don't ask. It's like, oh, I really enjoy the pre- repetition, and then it <laughs> takes a turn you. there. Thanks. Where did where did that poem come from? Well, I actually uh, took a photo of um, several photos of my mother's uh, blouses hanging on the back of my old bedroom door at my parents' house. And I took millions of photos before we sold the home um, just this last 
beginning of March, I, I wanted to just capture every minute portion of that home, just everything. And um, in February, I had my first photography show at Sun Bear Studio in Westerville. And uh, we did this, I did this actually with Concrete Wink and it was at Frasis. So I had two dozen um, photos of, of my own and we wrote about them. And so I, I had this photo of her sleeves and, and I just looked at it and, and all of this came out about about this very difficult death my mother had um, and I it, it makes me think of this I, I'm kind of a quote fanatic and all of these quotes by writers and artists to me connect uh, to everything every every walk I take everything I do and it makes me think about Ray Bradbury he said we never sit anything out we are cups quietly and constantly being filled the trick is knowing how to tip ourselves over and let the beautiful stuff out. And even though my mother's death was very sad and a lot of difficult things and unfair things happened, I think poetry is, is the way to make, and in art period is a way to make something um, very beautiful out of something very difficult and sad. And I it just came out of me. I looked at those sleeves and, and all of those elements of her shingles, um, which happened um, partly because uh, the, her doctors told her that, oh, it was just a rash, and, and it wasn't, and then it, it just, you know, completely went crazy over her body and so on and so forth. Anyway, I'm going on and on and I'm sorry I'm blathering here, but it just kind of came out of me. I, you know, I, I did a lot of close-ups of, of her, of her blouses and it, and it just poured out of me as, as Ray Bradbury says in that quote. And so there you go. Sure. Yeah. Do you, do you collect imagery like that? Like, so when, when I was, when I was in theater, I would collect I'd take like a, as long as it wasn't something that'd be detrimental to the department, I'd take like a small prop from like shows that I really liked and I'd keep them. And I have like a box of props. Do you do that? Like, do you collect stuff over your life? And I, I do, I do. I, I am a collector um, sometimes to my detriment. <laughs> uh, I actually was on, I've, I've been in plays and uh, I'm a, I'm a singer Kind of a former singer. I I used to sing a lot. Um, I've sung in some well weddings, and that, that's a whole other part of my life. I don't even need to talk about. But anyway, um, a theater person, and I've been on prop committees because I do think things are very very important to to art and to expressing what life is about. Um, I've said this a lot in former discussions with people about poetry that I think one of the most it's so simple yet so profound one of the most profound things that uh, was ever said about poetry was what William Carlos Williams said and as we know he's an imagist poet no idea but in things things fuel poetry and things fuel our thoughts um, 
I remember uh, I was with my grandfather, um, my mother's father years ago. I was with him when he died and I drank coffee out of the same cup the entire time I was with him the week, his last week of life. And I kept that cup and then it, it was many months until I unwrapped that cup from a box and when I unwrapped the cup, the tears just came because it held all the emotions of that that week. It was just encased in that mug. And I know that you understand because you're a poet. <laughs> so yeah, there's my long-winded answer to you. Um, objects hold so much. Um, there are stories within the object themselves itself and stories that come by the people that hold them. I, I collect antiques, different antiques. I often think about, you know, how many hands have held a single object and what's their story and why did they have it and so on. So, yes. That's, that's, re that's really interesting. So I, I'm not like as, as big of a collector because I, if, if I get, let myself get into that headspace, I just, I, <laughs> I accumulate very quickly. Um, and, and that's why I started keeping a diary so I could accumulate thoughts in a journal instead of things um, mm -hmm. because I can be bad about that. But Rembrandt did that. That was like one of his things was he had, he needed a, like a visceral connection to, to memories and things around him. So he collected, he had this huge collection of just stuff. He had like rocks. And I mean, he also collected expensive things. It's one of the reasons he went into debt later in life. Um, but he always said it helped fuel constant creativity because he was always surrounded by these things that made him feel creative. Yes, I, I agree with that. And now one of the reasons why I am very much into photography now as well is that I am trying to kind of let go of a few things because I, I can't keep all of this forever. And since we had to uh, empty my parents' home, I, I now have had to bring more things into my home and it, and it becomes very difficult. So I'm trying to capture a lot of these things in photos because that's a lot easier to store and, and let go of some things that way as well. But I do think that there's so much detail and objects and and those things can evoke emotions and emotions and 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 their textures within objects and just so so much sensory stuff that you can use in poetry oh of course yeah like one of the, one of the objects to have it from a show we did she loves me the musical mm. and it's about it, it takes place in this perfume shop and so i have one of the bars of soap and the whole stage smelled like the soap because we had like 20 of them, 20 of these bars. And when I smell it, it just reminds me of my freshman year. Like I, I, I'm back to like 19 again. Oh, oh yeah. It's amazing how it'll just catapult you back to that, yeah. that moment. Tethered by that smell. Oh, and and yeah. I have like a six week window I can step into just by smelling the soap. Oh, absolutely. I, I completely get that. <laughs> Let's talk, let's talk about your, your very recent nomination. You found out, what, two days after you came back from the conference? In, yes. In June. Congratulations. Thank you. On Ohio's new Beat Poet Laureate. I, I am so 
floored and humbled by this. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I still can't believe it, really. It's so cool. So talk to me about it. So how did it happen? Like, what, what are your projects? Like, what, what are you planning on doing? I know it's early and it's all, yes. <laughs> you, a lot, you have a lot of time to think about. I don't want to put you on the spot too much. <laughs> I, I am floored by it. And I, I first have to say, you know, one of the things that uh, it, my, one of my first reactions is, oh my gosh, John Burroughs, what a tough act to follow. Really? I have to follow him? <laughs> You know, so yeah. that that's that's a little daunting, uh, but well, that's you know it is what it is. So. No, don't think about it that way. You're gonna make it your own, and you're gonna do just as good, but in a different I direction. I know, <laughs> uh, and 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 he's very helpful, and, and 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 he will help me determine what I need to do as well. So, but it's it's really um, I'm so. I'm so thrilled about it, um, and I there's there's something very synchronistic about it, and and really very spiritual about it because, and I'll try not to tear up about this, but so uh, I in 2018 I went to the national. Um, uh, just, I'm sorry, it's really, I've got to get myself together here. So when I, in 2018, I went to the first National Beat Poetry Association Festival in Connecticut and New Hartford, and it was a wonderful experience. I absolutely loved it. And it was one of the biggest festivals I've been to since I retired from teaching. And I, and I just published just a, well, actually it was right before I knew my fragile capacities was being published in October. So I was kind of a newbie in terms of really getting officially published. I, I published work before, but I didn't have my first collection out. And it was very hard as a teacher to get a lot of work published because I was always immersed in my teaching of creative writing. <laughs> you know, teaching is, a full-time job you are never away from it ever and I mean I I loved teaching in many ways but your net your work was never ever finished ever so anyway uh, so I went to that um, back in 2018 and it was one of the best experiences of my life and I got involved with with that organization and then I was going to attend again in 2019. I literally was driving down my driveway and I stopped halfway down my driveway and I got a call that my mom was really sick and I, and I couldn't go. And my mom passed away just a few days later and she was so upset that I couldn't attend the conference again. And I, I need to add that my mom is from Connecticut and so my experience of, of going to Connecticut is a very spiritual experience because I have memories of going to Connecticut every August as a child. We would always go uh, to Monroe, Connecticut, where my grandparents lived, and then they also had a cottage in um, Terrytown. And those are some of my favorite memories as a kid. And just to attend a huge conference there, a um, festival, 
was so meaningful to me. And she was so upset that I couldn't attend because she was sick. And my mom was the most selfless, loving person that I know. And she said to me, I'm so sorry that my illness is keeping you from going. And I said, Mom, I meant to be here for you. And she says, I'm going to make this up to you, I promise. And I really feel like my mom has something to, to do with me getting this, this award. And I think my dad, who has dementia, has something to do with this too because I've been caring for him. My mom died, and then I have been in full-time mode of caring for my dad with dementia ever since my mom passed. But my dad is really primarily the reason why I'm a poet because when I was in first grade, he gave me a children's version of the book, A Child's Garden of, Vers of Verses by Robert Louis Stevenson. It has on the cover a claymation uh, 3D version of these kids, um, uh, a picture of the kids um, going up on the swing on Robert Louis Stevenson's poem, The Swing. And, and it really ignited this fire and passion in me for poetry. And I just think, you know, when you do the right thing and you do what you're supposed to do, things that are important to you return to you and and it's come back full circle and and I've been given this beautiful gift and and I'm re I'm kind of returning it's sort of like a homecoming I'm returning back to my mom's home <laughs> and I'm returning to my favorite place to to go for poetry so I'm sorry to go on and on but it's just there's so many layers of importance to me uh, about this award and, and that it's rooted in Connecticut and it's important to me I take the responsibility so seriously because I, I, I love poetry poetry is in my bones it's it, I've written poetry since first grade I knew I was supposed to be a poet um, my fourth grade teacher told me you are going to be a poet uh, it's just been my every breath my entire life and I also have been an advocate for others and I want to be an advocate for others as Ohio Beat Poet Laureate. I'm not sure exactly what that entails but I do know that I have always read other people's work, I've critiqued it, I've, I'm up in the middle of the night sometimes reading people's work and reading aloud swapping work with people on the phone. I want to do more of that. Um, I know uh, I was talking with Ricky Santra on the phone. She congratulated me and um, she said, you know, what do you want to do is one of your kind of coming out <laughs> things. And I haven't talked to John Burroughs about this yet. Maybe, maybe he'll hear about this first on this, but I, uh, I thought that it might be kind of a neat thing to do something since he's the National Beat Poet Laureate and I'm the Ohio, he's in Cleveland, I'm in, in the Columbus area, that it might be neat to, Mansfield is, is kind of the halfway point to try to have a reading halfway, and of course I want you to be a part of this, and, and for it to be a kind of a beat themed reading and Kat Russell is a good friend of mine and she keeps saying, I still don't really quite know what beat poetry is and we can kind of talk about what it is. Anybody who has a favorite beat poet read a poem by that person 
and then read some of your own favorite work, but just kind of bring people together in the center of the stage. I, I would like to try to organize something like that just as a celebration of as many poets in Ohio. And I would like to do that soon. So I hope you're game for that. Oh, totally. Yeah, just let me know when. Okay, <laughs> good. And I, I know that, you know, there's still cons concerns about COVID. So I was thinking about trying to do that, you know, soon and maybe, maybe at an outside venue if that's possible. You know, unfortunately, the wonderful bookstore that was in Mansfield isn't there anymore. So we'll have to. That's a shame. Yeah, but it it might be good to do an outside venue. So and um, I I was uh, talking with Juliet Cook last night, and she she's game for it too. If we can find a safe space, so I I know a lot of poets would would want to do this. So I'm sorry, I probably talked about 15 minutes just about that first question. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. There's a lot of information packed in there. Um, I cannot think of a more empathetic, better person to, to to do the next leg of this of our state beat poet laureate position. I think you're gonna you're, you're gonna you're gonna do fantastic. It's gonna be awesome. I I hope so. I I really want to be an advocate for people, and I hope anybody that's listening to this, if they have any ideas that they want to throw out to me that they want me to try to implement, I, I, I hope they'll tell me. Yeah, Sandra Fien is open, everyone. That's it. <laughs> I'm open, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, so I was good at, this is a good segue because I wanted to talk to you about the poetry troops you're in and are currently in. Um, because that could be something. It's a performative, you know, it's a performative thing. Um, currently, you're in Concrete Wink. Chuck Simons and Ricky Santa are a part of it. And tell me about that. What does a poetry troupe do? What is, is it like a, is it like improv or, or how does it go? Well, we, it, it's really, I just adore Chuck. He's, he's like a brother to me. And, and Ricky's like my sister. And about 10 years ago, Chuck and I, well, I knew of Chuck, but we kind of had our first intense conversation at Hannah Stevenson's uh, poetry book launch for her book, In the Kettle, A Shriek. And we just talked and talked and talked and talked. And we said, you know, we need to, you know, start solidifying our friendship with like a, a group or something <laughs> and anyway we we started um, the critique group Bistro Poets so we're part of a writing critique group called Bistro Poets and then uh, Chuck and Ricky and I just we at some time in conversation said we we need to take our poetry on the road and we we joked and said we wish we had one of those old rickety funky groovy looking yet sturdy buses like you're probably too young to know what I'm talking about like the Partridge family you know? <laughs> I, the only reason I know is because and, and I think this is where you're going but I watched the movie The Temptations okay. <laughs> so they, 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 they have that tour bus it's like that old steel thing you know they're driving through in like the 50s and 60s yeah, and you know, so we thought that that would really be fun to to have one of those. We don't have that yet, but 
you know, if anybody wants to donate that, hey. Uh, so, and, and we just really enjoy reading together and we are, uh, there are some threads that are common within our work, but there are many things that are different about our work. And so it's, it's fun to, uh, to read together because of our, our similarities and differences. And I, I just admire them so much. I, I, there's, I feel that they're, they're just so much better at poets than I am. And I have so much to learn from them. And so we, we just enjoy each other's company. And so we like, we like to, you know, chat on the road and, and just, just read different places. And we also like to introduce each other and kind of say funny things about each, about each other and just kind of make it more of a performance type thing. We decided, uh, I do have a collection. I, I have one on my desk right now of see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil monkeys. And we decided that we are the three monkeys. Um, Ricky is the see no evil monkey. Chuck is the hear no evil monkey. And I'm the speak no evil monkey. And I think one of the reasons why I'm the speak no evil monkey is because it's sort of the irony because I talk so much. <laughs> so. Um, I don't know. I, I have never, not that, not that people are like, poets are super gossipy or anything, but I've never heard you say a bad thing about somebody. I've never heard you say a bad thing about anything, I don't think. Like, not just people. Well, yeah, I don't really, yeah, I don't really talk in a, in a just disparaging way about people but I just talk a lot you know? <laughs> I don't know when to shut up so um, but we just uh, if, if you look on our um, our Facebook page we have a picture of us uh, all in black and we you know we have our little shot of us looking like the monkeys and it's just fun it, it's just fun we really enjoy it and you know, poetry is meant to be fun and celebrated, and we we haven't, uh, you know, we haven't been out as much. We we were out recently in April. We went to uh, Lawrenceburg, Indiana. We actually did a workshop for kids. We sometimes we do writing workshops as well, and we enjoyed that. And we're going to be in um, Cleveland in September doing a reading um, at a bookstore. I. I believe it's visible voice books so we're, we're slowly getting back into the swing of things good that's awesome and very enviable i mean <laughs> to be able to like travel and road trip to do poetry yeah a lot of fun. <laughs> okay um so <clears throat> what is it like so you worked on a literary magazine for a long time you were the editor of pudding magazine well i was just an associate i mean i worked on I was never the head honcho. No, Jennifer Bosveld founded founded Pudding, and I was an associate, and I worked on some some of the um, projects, um, some of the contests, um, and you know, and I I had the opportunity to be one of her associate editors for a few years, and was so lucky. Um, I met Jennifer. She's a really, really good friend of mine. I met Jennifer back in 1983 
and was in a poetry therapy workshop that she hosted. She was, she facilitated, she was part of the Ohio, she was the director of Ohio, uh, the Ohio Poetry Therapy group. And then after several years, she decided because her Pudding House Press and Magazine was just doing so well and she was taking on more and more book projects of her own and of others uh, that she, it, it was just too much for her. So she um, gave that, I took that on and then I became the, the director of that for a while. But uh, she was such a mover and shaker and, and worked, you know, 52 hour day <laughs> and 24 hours. But um, she was just a wonderful editor, publisher, one of my best friends, and I learned so much from her and enjoyed my work as, a, as an associate editor tremendously. I learned a lot from her, and I learned a lot about poetry therapy. And I, I, I met um, Kathleen Burgess through Jennifer, and she is, um, she works and is the, um, Kathleen is one of the head honchos of Putting Now, and um, Steve Abbott um, has worked with Putting for years. Um, they're, they're great people. Um, Steve Abbott is considered like the godfather of, of the poetry scene in Columbus. I was lucky, you know, at such a young age to meet these fine movers and shakers it's you know early on and to learn so much from them Kathleen is currently in our um, bistro writing critique group and and she's such a dear friend of mine and so you know it just keeps I'm so blessed to to have her as a friend now and uh, Jennifer died several years ago and it's she's sorely missed um, I could go on and on about her and how much she's influenced my life and, and my poetry. And it's amazing the connections you make like randomly and then those people are in your lives and the, the impact they can have is profound. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because I, you know, when I was um, 19, I kept, I had had, a, a, if I could just share this because I really think it's important for people to understand just how powerful poetry is and um, when I when I was 12 my best friend died um, she had Rice syndrome which is a very rare disease and she she died of Rice syndrome and from the age of 12 to 19 I had reoccurring dreams about her I was just plagued by dreams about her I could not stop dreaming about her and I finally decided I have to I just sat down one day and I said I've got to write her out of my system or I'm going to not be able to have a good night's sleep again and so I started free writing and I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote anything that came to my mind about her and in that process I realized that I felt guilty because the last time I saw her we were walking home from school and normally 
when we went into our neighborhood, I would go left to go into my street and she would go right and we would with this silly little girlish way that we would say goodbye to her to each other and at that moment that last day uh, this big swarm of girls just kind of pounced on us and and started talking to us that no, and that normally didn't happen and I got sort of lost in that and I didn't say goodbye to her and she died later that night. Wow. And I, that bothered me and I did not realize that. Yeah. And so I figured that out just in the free writing and that ended up creating this poem that I wrote called Late Night Movie. And so I, I cultivated that through all, all of this free writing. So after I did the free writing, I never had any more dreams about her. That's the power of writing. That's the power of poetry. So I was just blown away by that. And I thought poetry truly is a healing tool and writing is a healing tool, just as I think all creative arts are. And so my sister, um, my oldest sister, Holly is a, um, art therapist. She was an art therapist at the time. She now is head of the art therapy department at Wayne State University in Detroit. I called her and I said, do you know if there's anything called poetry therapy? Because I just did poetry therapy on myself. <laughs> and she said to me, yes, there is. And there's this leading art therapy journal in the United States and in the journal, there was the name Jennifer Bosveld, and if anybody's interested in, in um, a poetry therapy workshop, call Jennifer Bosveld, and she's in Columbus, Ohio. And I was going to Bowling Green um, University at the time, but you know my home was in Columbus, and I started coming home the second Saturday of every month because that's when the poetry therapy workshop was, and that's that's how I met her. And then it began this lifelong friendship. So I'm saying all this, but that's how powerful it is. And that led to my meeting so many people. Um, I also have done some, uh, well, I have 70 hours towards uh, poetry therapy certification. I um, worked with um, folks that came out of, prison and were transitioning back into um, regular everyday life. I worked with art therapists with, with poetry. I've done a lot with poetry therapy. Anyway, I just wanted to say that it's, it's amazing. And I'm sure you, you know that too, just from your own writing, but. Sure. Well, I mean, you have direct experience. That's so interesting. So what would you say what are the, what advantages does poetry therapy have over traditional therapy? What, what's the difference? And I mean, I, it involves the writing, of course. But yeah, you know. I well, I just think that um, it, it, it's it's just another it, it's a, a a different edge or facet, psychological facet to it that um, that's important to to delve into, uh, and and certainly. There, there are careers that 
queer opportunities for, for people in poetry therapy where you can, you know, some, some places, some hospitals uh, will, will hire poetry therapists. Um, Charlene, the poet Charlene Fix, Fred Enderly from Columbus, and Anna Soder have um, worked um, at the Janes um, in Columbus uh, doing a thing called Hospital Poets where they have poetry workshops and they're doing poetry therapy as on a volunteer basis. But there are people that are hired who are certified poetry therapists to do poetry therapy work in hospitals, um, um, with alcoholics, with uh, a number of, of people. Um, it's, it's amazing how you can really use it to, you know, as a healing agent. Um, Freud himself said, not I, but the poet discovered the unconscious. Freud said that, and that's, that's really true. So I, I keep that in mind, especially when I'm dealing with really difficult things, like I've been dealing with, especially in the last few years, and I, I find that it it's probably the best um, counseling that I am able to do on myself is with the pen. I don't know if that really answers your question or not. Um, yeah, but, well, and it's, it's a tough, well, it's a tough question because it's hard to just itemize, you know, benefits and, and, and like features and benefits. Um, do, I mean, do you think that the, because the line I feel like has to be kind of blurred between what's creative and what's psychologically healing? Like, they're because they're, yeah. they're intertwined, right? Like certainly, certainly, absolutely. And there are, and, and there are uh, books about poetry therapy which can, you know, delve into that even more in terms of its its psychological nature and and. You know, I, I I know that there all there are always critics that will say, ah, you know, anything can can help you. Well, that's true. Anything that you're passionate about, anything that you love, can and and, and makes you feel joy, that elicits joy, it is healing. I think, but I believe anyway that the arts offer well and again quoting Ray Bradbury again offers an extra ability to breathe even deeper um, there's something about the arts that gives us more breathing space and and more permission to be ourselves I, I really believe that yeah I would agree with that because I think too that the reason that we're drawn to it especially early on. Like, I think the reason that the like, writers and artists and musicians are drawn to those things is because they're comforting at first. Like they don't necessarily, they aren't necessarily drawn to the art. I'm not saying that that's, that's, that's for everyone, but like, I think a lot of people are drawn to it initially because they experience something, it feels comforting and it makes them feel better. And then they, they follow that. They just follow it down the, the rabbit hole. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, that's really, that's really cool. Um, and so it, it, your, your writing, it kind of makes a little more sense because you're writing, you have a lot of narrative writing. You have a lot of 
things where you're describing these scenarios. So how much of that, is that autobiographical? Is that part of the process? Is, is this, you know, letting go, capturing it and then sending uh, it off? I, I, yes, yes and no. I, I do have a tendency, tendency to tell my, my own personal stories in a lot of my work. I, my, my first book, Fragile Capacities, is, is about uh, a lot of stories about my narratives about my teaching career. Uh, Meat and Bone is about a short uh, 23 month marriage and it is about my first marriage. And Evidence of Starving, there are a lot of personal narratives in that, but they're not all my own. Um, and that's a, more of a, collect, a collection of, um, based on the theme of, of hunger and longing of, of different types. But it's funny because a lot of people assume that every poem is about me, so especially if it's in first person. And sometimes I'll write in first person, but I'm not necessarily the I, you know, so, uh, but absolutely I have written a lot of things that are, that are autobiographical, but not everything is autobiographical, but I do write a lot of true stories. I, I will write, I, I believe in writing, writing memoir, um, you know about different slices of my life or other people's lives because there's so I do enjoy creating making up stories but I think gosh there's so many interesting things going on that really happened <laughs> you know right. so right. what would you like people to know about your poetry uh God, yeah wow you know it's a, it's a simple and yet such a profound question. Um, I, uh, let me make it. So you're working on you're working on this collection with um, a journalist about yeah. your father. What are you What are you trying to achieve in that collection? Well, um, I'm I'm trying to make make the um, I'm hoping that. With all my work, I hope that people feel like they're right there. I think I think good writing feels immediate. I know I feel like it's such a cathartic experience as a reader when I if I can feel like I'm right there. And I hope that my work, I guess this sort of answers your question, I hope that my work helps a reader and audience to feel like, oh wow, I'm right there or Oh my gosh, that reminds me of blah blah blah. I hope if if any if even one of my poems can make somebody feel a little less alone, that would mean the world to me. And I tear up about that because I guess I'm really hard on myself about everything, but the one thing I guess I will give myself credit for is that I've always been the cheerleader for the underdog and so if if any of my poems makes anybody feel a little less alone and like there's if one of my poems makes them feel heard somehow then I I feel really good about that 
And so in answer to this other question about this book, uh, I want to really capture the experience of this Wednesday breakfast club of my father's. It's a group of men that have been meeting. Um, they're, uh, they have had a relationship for over 60 years. And I have, I have been blessed to be the honorary girl that gets to go. And uh, I'm, I'm allowed to, to and, and they especially like me going now that they know I'm writing a book about them. But I have to speed, speed this up because the oldest member in the group is 99. And he says, you need to hurry this up, young lady, because I don't know how much longer I've got. So I, I need to hurry it up. And they are, they are characters, and I've learned so much from them. And I might add that the 99-year-old has a better, way better memory than I do. And he'll say things to me like, write this down because I know you're going to forget it if you don't. <laughs> so they are, they are poetry, not sorry for the cliche, but they are poetry in motion, absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah. Oh my goodness, man! It, and your your relationship with art, like it saturates your life. It's so cool. Like you do you do things in like every genre. How do you pick what genre? Like you you have your you you've had your poetry on display in museums. You've you've performed. You've you've sang. You have a long you have a long singing history. Um, do you feel art all the time? I know that's like a silly question, but is it? Is oh, it that's present? a beautiful question. Oh, I love that question. I, I do feel it, but you know, there are so many people that do so much more than I do. When you, when you were saying this about, just saying this question, the, the name that immediately popped in my head is, oh no, no, Carrie Troutman does this so much better. I was listening to her podcast and she was talking about her plays and I'm like oh my gosh I, I you know I wasn't aware of all of, of all that and that realm of her writing and I'm thinking how does she do all that and I know she's such a successful mother too and all, you know she's she does so much more than I do I, I see everybody as and, and that so many people are, are doing so much more than I do you do so much more than I do uh, I, I I just dabble, you know, a little bit here and there, and and I and I've been really rusty lately because I'm, you know, I'm been so much, uh, big time into this caregiver mode with my dad. But I I I know that I'm I'm supposed to do that, and I, you know, and I just been blown away and blessed by this beat poet laureate role and I feel like okay somehow God and the universe are gonna work this out and I'm, I'm being given this gift again and, and everything's gonna come back even full force and it, it'll all work out it, it absolutely is going to you <laughs> You are one of the most empathetic. So many of your answers. I want you to re-listen to this podcast episode and, and, and think about how many times your answers went to someone else that you were supporting or thinking about. That is one of the, like, that's what the state needs and it's going to be all the better for it. Thanks. 
so many people have been so good to me, you know. Um, I, I, I have so many people to thank who have given so much to me, you have no idea. I, I, could, I could have spent this whole time just thanking so many people, really. The longest Oscars acceptance speech of all time. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, um, I, I mean, Nick Maciosi, who I hope you will interview him sometime. I mean, the man's written 15 books. Um, he was my seventh grade teacher, best teacher I've ever had. Um, John Burroughs has introduced me to so many people. Um, Diane Borsnick, best editor ever, uh, you know. Jason Reberg published Meat and Bone, uh, Jojo Compton, Evidence of Starving. I, 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 I just could go on and on. You, you, you're fabulous. I, I just, I, I want to just pester you forever and just keep talking to you. Sorry. <laughs> Another, that's fine. Another episode, perhaps. <laughs> what would you like to wrap us up with a poem? Yes. Um, I noticed, I, I was going to do, um, Introducing um, Dick and Jane, but I I glanced and saw that you wrote something about the colon blow poem. Would you prefer that I read that? <laughs> okay, so the colon blow poem, you know, <laughs> pun intended, blew my mind because I was wondering, I was like, is this is that a true story? It is absolutely true. It, it seemed like it had to be. It's so funny, but it's because <laughs> I think it's. I think it's a very poetic experience. <laughs> Other people might not think that evacuating your bowels can be so poetic. I think it can. <laughs> if it, I mean, if you if you like that poem, I'll, I'll read it. If you would prefer that one, I'll, I'll, I, I think since you mentioned that, I, I, I just saw, I, I just sort of glanced at those questions as I was getting online and I saw, I saw the word colon blow and I thought, oh, he likes the colon blow poem. So I'll, I'll read that one instead. Sure. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll read that one. A day's colon blow and morphine shot. You think you will die in the parking lot of that luxury hotel. That is, die in your shit you unload as soon as you open the Jeep door and pull down your plaid shorts in the nick of stinking time while I sit in the passenger seat and close my eyes. Pray Key West cops won't come. Pray screams, gasps, and gags will quickly subside from the wedding party passing. They think they're going to take pictures. Bridesmaids, grooms stagger strategically on steps of a tropical veranda. The tighter I close my eyes, the louder you moan in the muck of your dump and sharper the cries of shock, disdain. You have no idea what brings on this gurgling turmoil, violating your intestines that exercise your steering wheel into a parking lot, not a gas station, but a luxury hotel to leave a dark mound of excrement in between freshly painted lines of space reserved for expectant mothers. When your bowels become a ghost town, the parking lot is, too, with only flies left in attendance, feasting. We vanish before police come, hope no one records our license number, but we never escape your smell the rest of the day. It resides in the walls of the car, the seat belts, your arms, 
torso, fingernails, hair, no matter how fiercely you scrub back in our room at La Tida. You try to dismiss your ordeal as your stomach settles down and I lean forward, brush my hair thoroughly since you insist I should try on dresses at the nearest boutique. I lift from the last brush stroke, hear something crunch in my back. Like shells, it nearly knocks the wind out, sends a swift searing bullet of pain up my back, down my left arm to pinch my elbow and reverse its course back to target my buttocks. I don't want to complain, especially when your cologne still doesn't cover up the, the stubborn stench of that fecal matter. You sweetly say taking me on this outing helps you forget. You bring skirts and dresses in profusion to my dressing room door, and I can barely maneuver them onto my body. After deciding to wear a matching green linen blouse and skirt that you chose back to the hotel, it is then that I inform you of the hurricane of pain raging under my shoulder blades. You insist I try to nap, but misery clamps me there with a vengeance until I can't get up. It forces you to pull my legs forward to get the best hold on me, carry me to the car, drive, then repeat grip, lift, and carry me into the emergency room. I'm in a twin bed leaning on my right elbow, keeping weight away from my butt that doctors say is swollen. How can something so balloon-like, so round, know the science of growing swollen as well? They inject morphine directly into the left cheek of the bubble. It doesn't pop, but I yelp, and a six-year-old one cubicle over pulls the curtain back, asks if I'm the one who just made that noise. When he finds out the shot is the culprit provoking me, he states matter-of-factly, he's been poked earlier, hadn't uttered a speck of noise. The kid is cool like he's been around and in and out of many curtain cubicles until his mom accuses him of neglecting to make regular stops to the restroom and his paper gown bristles. This comment makes you slink farther away from the kid, slither through the curtain to realign closer to my bed. Morphine creates a fog that allows me to breathe easier. Although less concerned about the needled reek of today, I'm reminded that you still need yet another scrub. <laughs> I know it's I know it's serious. That, that had to have been a traumatic day, but I just I just picture like you're like fading out. It's it's like comfortably numb, right? Like the song's playing, and then you're just like, oh god, it still smells. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that? eventually becomes humor, you know, and then a poem. Is it's it, all poem worthy, right? It is all poem worthy. It is. It is, and it's funny. Like it's a funny. Again, at the time, probably not funny at all, but <laughs> anyway, thank you for sharing. That was, that was good. You're welcome. <laughs> all right, this has been okay. Poetry Spotlight, a production of the Ohio Poetry Association. Please follow the OPA on Twitter at Ohio Poetry and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Ohio Poetry. A transcript of this episode can be found on the OPA blog. Visit ohiopoetryassociation.org for more information. And Sancho, thank you so much for coming. Thank you very much, Jeremy. I really enjoyed this. Ooh.